Hi everyone, thanks so much for joining me for this podcast episode. I'm Homan Dalib and I'm a PhD student at UCL and I'm working with the mental health team today on this podcast series ahead of the UCL Institute of Mental Health Conference in September. I'm joined by some of the speakers who will be talking about co-production and involvement. Hi, I'm Merla. I'm working as the research assistant for the Mental Health Policy Research Unit and I've been involved in different projects over the past year that were co-produced with our lived experience researchers. Hi, I'm Jackie Hardy. I'm a lived experience researcher for working with the Institute of University College London. And I've been in co-production with our researchers on quite a few different research projects and the specific one that we're talking about more at the conference. Hi, I'm Tamar and I'm a lived experience researcher. Um, I work freelance um, under Pink Sky Thinking, which is basically me. I've been doing research um, with the um, Mental Health Policy Research Unit and Lived Experience Working Group, which is why I'm here today. Hi, I'm Mary Birkin. I'm a research fellow um, and at the time of this project, I was working for the Mental Health Policy Research Unit, but I still continue to work in the Division of Psychiatry at UCL now. Amazing. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for joining today. I think it will be a really important conversation that we'll be having and hopefully all the listeners will be enjoying what you guys are discussing too. So let's start from the basics. What is co-production? Well, for me, co-production is really making sure that everybody's involved, even in the initial thing, if you're planning to do um, a research project, the people involved, you know, right from the beginning, um, and then the sort of middle and all, all, all aspects should go along, but you actually work working all together. So you're all bringing your learning, your knowledge together. So researchers and lived experience people having those discussions, sharing your learning, and then um, making sure that also then you, you constantly review, you know, to see how things are going in case anything needs to be to be changed, and then making sure that anything you're gonna any research that you're, you're gonna be uh, research papers or analysis that you all work together on that and um, so I think that's that's the kind of key thing it's really is making sure you're working together you're learning from each other and you're all kind of being sort of sort of open and honest and transparent yeah I think um, anyone that knows me knows that um, I get a real bee in my bonnet about this um, term and really get on my soap, <laughs> soapbox about the term co-production because um, there's there's the term service user involvement, which you know, which covers all all sorts of um, types of involvement basically, but co-production really is about power sharing um, and dis- sharing of decision making, um, and there's a, there's um, a- actual models that that describe this. So you know, going back to the original Sherry Einstein model in um, that was developed in 1969. But um, co-production specifically, um, when you're looking at it, is um, um, power sharing and um, decision making right at the top of the tree. So you're looking at the money and the strategy in particular. So um, you're looking at decision making on funding and um, and that kind of um, strategic um, decisions. So often when people come into what they call um, service user involvement they've already made the decisions you know before they they come into it they've already um, got the money they've decided 
you know, essentially what the area is that they're going to, you know, that the that money is allocated to and they kind of um, want some service users in to sort of discuss, um, you know, so we've been doing a service for this, so, you know, kind of how, how should we um, do something about, you, you know, how are we going to do this kind of thing? But no, like real co-production is about, um, you know, at the beginning of that project, you have um, people with lived experience who are actually part of, you know, um, being part of that application process. They, they're actually part of making those, those decisions, um, part of developing that strategy. And that is something that is highly unusual that you very, very rarely see. Going from involvement to co-production, how does that affect kind of the work that you do in terms of, you know, is it involvement or are you moving more towards co-production? I think what Jackie and Tamer just said is very important, that the work is actually shared and it's not only external involvement or on a consultancy basis, but it's really working together as a team, as equal members um, of the team um, throughout the research project and research process so really from the start from setting the topic and the questions to the methodology of how you approach the um, topic to the analysis and then also um, the dissemination of the findings so that is uh, really important yeah when it comes to research it's really about um, um, when it comes to the, the funding side um, looking at um, um, people with lived experience deciding um, what um, areas they want to research and set those um, those key um, research questions for, first of all and to apply for that funding. So what you'll often find um, if you have a look at all of the um, so-called, um, if I put in, in speech marks, co-produced research, you'll see that um, the app the funding applications they're not actually really service user led and they've not been led by um by um sort of lived experience researchers so, um you would you would expect to see um lived experience research as a primary investigator as as well um someone again who's leading that project you'd expect to see them kind of as the lead author um so you, you very rarely see that I'll just give an example. There's, um, there's, there's a paper by Diana Rose, um, Sarah Carr and Peter Beresford where they've actually um, talked about this and said that none of the research funding um, currently is actually going to um, lived experience um, led projects. So you've got millions of pounds literally of public and patient involvement funding that is not going to lived experience led research projects. So how can we say there's any co-production out there at the moment? There isn't. So it's aspirational and it's something that we are, um, you know, until it starts going to us, <laughs> it's not going to, or at least, you know, um, partnerships with us, then um, it won't be co-produced. I think that's a really good point because when I was first introduced to co-production I, I kind of toyed with the idea of like do you ever truly achieve true co-production in terms of like you know co-producing and you know breaking down the power hierarchies within research and you know within 
academia, you're obviously, you've got these power hierarchies. I think that's what's quite hard. Some academics might find it quite difficult to understand, you know, how do we achieve this? I wanted to talk a bit about, you know, the benefits and the the challenges of doing co-production. Yeah, I think from working on this project that we're going to be talking about, I think it's really, it was really, really, really valuable to have um, lived experience perspectives in the meetings. So as a researcher, we've got sort of knowledge of methods and ways of doing research. But um, in terms of what really strengthened the project was having um, the skills and um, life experience of the lived experience researchers on the project throughout the project. So even when we had weekly meetings, um, our the core team was a combination of people with lived experience and researchers. So that really strengthened those meetings so that every time we met to discuss it, we had a range of voices and a range of experiences in the, in the meeting and um, to work on the project. I think a lot of things work really kind of well. Yeah, some of the challenges might be some of the times when we were looking to do some of the interviews. I was very concerned when I was doing an interview at the end to make sure that that person had as much support as possible, which we had a um, places where people would get support from. But for me, it was very much about um, uh, these are other people with lived experience that I'm interviewing and how best can we make sure we're supporting them as well. So again, sort of raising some of that where sometimes you might have um, some senior researchers, it's about sometimes I just think so much about the research and moving forward. Whereas when you're interviewing people that have got lived experience like yourself, you're making sure well, what else can they be signposted and supporting to. But there was a lot of things that come into that. There was a document created and um, and also then we was doing sort of check-ins at the end of people. So I think there are challenges, probably challenges on, on all kind of... Um, but kind of everybody, I suppose, of us, and when you've got such a big team working together. But I think there's, I think from this, what we've actually done, there's so much learning, and hopefully there'll be a paper about that that we might be able to do around the kind of the challenges and the benefits and the learnings, because it's like, well, what went well, what didn't, what did we learn from it? Um, but otherwise, I mean, I felt very valued and have learned a lot being involved, because again, I was an author, and then hopefully there's a paper coming out where I'll be sort of a co-lead author. We were supported so much in doing analysis and also supported um, again in, in, you know, how to do stuff to write for papers. So I felt it also helped in my personal development. So for me, it's been a really positive experience and anything where there was challenges, I think they were looked at and we tried to all together overcome them. So for me, it's been a positive experience. Yeah, that's just made me think back about, you know, the research that I've done in interviewing people. And from my lived experience, it's understanding you're able to put yourselves in that person's shoes and understand what they could potentially be going through whilst you're conducting the interview. And it's potentially something that I think if co-production wasn't there, it would be something that, you know, researchers would consider, but not to the same extent that someone with lived experience might do. How have you found that? Has that been a benefit you moving to more towards a co-production approach in the research that you do? I think co-production has a massively positive impact on the research projects the PAU is conducting, um, just because the discussions are different, important perspectives are being brought in that you as a researcher that doesn't work from a lived experience perspective just sometimes wouldn't think about. 
and having these perspectives and having these on board um, and actually working together then on these research projects really informs the analysis and informs the conclusions that are drawn based on the results um, as well as the implications. So it's, it makes it a lot more richer. I wonder how different that would be if you would just had service user involvement. You know, there is quite a few differences if you're just involving people at specific stages, for example, in an advisory capacity. Yeah, I think um, having um, the lived experience researchers conduct the interviews was a key part of the project. Um, um, you know, it was about people's experience of COVID, um, people with mental health problems experience of COVID and how their mental health has impacted. So I think having a lived experience researcher conduct the interviews was really, really important. And I think if if it would have been researchers conducting, I think the interviewers wouldn't have um, related the same amount of information. I think it would have been a very different dynamic. Um, people might have shared so much, but I think that was a really key part. So I think if they'd been, um, you know, if we had lived experience research as an advisory part, um, I don't think it would have worked. I think it would have been you know as research we've conducted these interviews and then the lived experience group would have been like oh well you didn't get very in-depth information from people or um i don't know i think they would have impacted on the results so i think having having lived experience researchers develop the questions and be and conduct the interviews was really key and obviously part of analysis as well so i think also if they weren't part of analysis um of the study interviews, I think it would have been very difficult. We would have come to maybe very different conclusions and um, that wouldn't have been relevant to people. So I think um, that was another key part of the study that if they had been if lived experience researchers were just advisory and we sort of pre pre um, presented their analysis that we had done as researchers and the conclusions, I think it would have been not as meaningful. So yeah, it's very, it's, I think it was key. People with, with lived experience and mental health difficulties are more likely to face other inequalities in society. And with COVID, that's really been brought to the surface in terms of the statistics we've been seeing of people who are living in crowded housing, in deprived areas, who are more likely to be suffering the consequences of COVID. COVID has impacted on co-production because we have obviously been affected in more than one way, haven't we, in terms of going online, not having, you know, the face-to-face -face contact. How... How has that felt for you, Tamar? For the, for the process itself, we've used um, video and um, sort of so mostly um, Zoom. And I found it, it's actually, um, in, in some ways, it's been easier because, um, you know, on days where it might have felt a bit um, more difficult, say, to get out the house and, um, you know, get get down to um, a meeting. But it's been um, much easier kind of accessibility-wise um, just to jo join um, a meeting. Um, also, I think, um, I think as well, I'm, I'm very personally co comfortable with um, using um, sort of computers and, and technology so I'm I'm fine with that um myself it, it's obviously very different face to face and I do miss that because obviously you, you bounce off people don't you and it's um it's never quite the same but um it's been it's been a real mixture really I think um and with the 
I think with the face-to-face interviews as well, there's something about those where it's made it easier for people to um, um, join join those. So, um, for instance, the the response rate can be quite a, a lot lower. I think when you're um, doing face-to-face interviews um, and they're not um, online because people will um, perhaps find it harder to um, always meet up face-to-face. But there's something about the connection that is always a little bit different because you don't um, connect with things like the body language or the eye contact and little nuances like that. Some people who will be attending this conference will never have heard of co-production and, or they will have heard of it and been be unsure about how to get started. What tips would you give to people who are new to co-production and might want to attempt it or just look into it a bit further? I would say to them, I think the good thing to kind of start with is look at NSUN's 4PI standards. It's good to look at them as you go along because it's always, it's always good to review because there might be... If you don't ask people, say if you do a study, and I've been on studies where they've learnt there a lot of things where started and they didn't review it until the end they didn't sort of do a part-way review and if you're not asking people sometimes people might talk amongst themselves you know, I found that you know I've lived this book so well, this is not going too well and um you know one of you maybe maybe doesn't want to raise something but maybe if you're asking everybody as a group what's working well and it works for everybody it's going to be for um, other researchers as well So reflecting throughout the journey of how things are going and how we can improve or change things. I would say um, if, if you really want to co-produce, to work with, as opposed to um, to do too. And when it comes to working with, that would involve um, partnering with other lived experience um, consultants. It would involve employing people within your team with, with lived experience so um you know if you if as you're saying you've got a team that wants to co-produce but they're not sure how to do it um well there's lots of people with um you know lots of lived experience consultants out there who do know how to do it so the um so in that case you know partner with them and um you know they can um you know partner with experts who can who can help you to, to do that and then that way when you're having um, um, things like um, I'm thinking of you know your discussion groups or, or focus groups and you're, um, you're you're trying to find out what people's opinions are it helps to um, change the power dynamic because instead of being um, sort of your organization asking or doing to um, your um, client group, um, service user group instead within um, um, within that scenario you've got um, um, sort of the lived experience employees within that group and you can um, and you're also kind of changing the, the power dynamic um, um, within within that scenario by by doing that and also being open when you're um, um, sort of Having, having these sessions by letting people know that you have lived experience in employees. So there's, some, there's something about that that, that change, it changes the dynamic. It, it, part of it is not just about um, doing two, it's about the, the attitude change within the, within the team as well. 
Yeah, I'd have to completely agree with that. What about from a perspective, professional perspective in terms of as a researcher, what advice would you give to other researchers who are trying to break down that power dynamic? Yeah, I think it's important if you're sort of planning, or if you've got a research idea, um, to make sure that you uh, work together with people with experience at that stage to sort of form the research question, um, to, to sort of work together on what a research proposal might look like, where you might apply for the grant. And then when sort of planning the study and the proposal really work together, um, to sort of really look at the key decisions that you would, the key steps of the project and making sure you you work through those together. And I also think it's very important to think about the sort of costs. So making sure that when you're planning this application that you've really thought through, have you got sufficient funds to really support um, the research in a co-produced way? Have you got money throughout the project and for that to happen? Um, I think finally thinking about maybe there might be limitations um, to co-production um, because for example, if the, research project is like a research fellowship or something like that so they're individual awards but the person wants the project to be as co-produced as possible so being upfront about that and saying um yes um because it's my research fellowship money i've got to report back to so and so about it but um there are limitations because of that so i think it's being clear about about that as well um in those situations i think ongoing communication really is something important as well um, that researchers have to have to ensure because it's just um, important to keep everyone in the loop and make sure that everyone has the same expectations regarding their involvement but also that everyone is aware of the differences in experiences and maybe time they can spend on the project as well as skills so ensuring that if there are any training needs that you can actually fulfill that and as a wider research team but also on the other hand, making sure that the researchers um, have had training and have thought a lot about how to actually properly do co-production. And one thing um, the Policy Research Unit has been talking about to maybe offer training sessions to the researchers that are not working from a lived experience perspective and to ensure that these training sessions are led by oil lived experience researchers. So that is something that um, people can also think about. I've recently been thinking a bit about co-production in different areas of research. So, for example, you're doing research on the mechanism behind, you know, a specific mental health problem. You might you might find yourself, you know, thinking, how do I co-produce this piece of research? You know, I'm working on maybe genetics or you know, computational psychiatry, for example. Do you have any tips for researchers who might be working in that area and, you know, no doubt will be attending this conference? Um, I, I think getting this conversation started and the saying, um, I've not done this before, or I've not worked in a co-produced way, but I really would like to, and just being open about that and meeting with lived experience researchers and saying, um, how do you think you could be involved more in this study? Um, some of the language might be very technical, but it, I really would like to have this co-produced piece of research. Um, and just, yeah, I think just starting that conversation like that and saying, I've not done this before, but I would, I'm very, I, I value this. I would like to do that, use this approach and, you know, acknowledging there might be barriers with technical terms and they were getting their ideas on how to overcome that. 
and yeah, and just starting a conversation about how things could be co-produced in the area of research. Yeah, I think I would second that. I think, you know, sometimes I think researchers are a bit scared of, oh, well, how am I going to do it? I'm just going to avoid it. But I think being honest about where you're at and, you know, what, what you're aiming for. I think not us not doing everything perfectly is um, it's important to say as well, especially because all of the project projects are set by the Department of um, Health and Social Care, and therefore we cannot ensure this very first step of actually deciding together and making lived experience researcher decide on the specific projects, and therefore we cannot claim that um, our projects are perfectly co-produced. And for instance, the qualitative interview studies during COVID time are good examples of um, projects where we reached quite high levels of co-production. But then, of course, there are other projects that um, should be more defined as probably service user involvement rather than co-production. Yeah, and I think I'd agree with Mel on that. Yeah, and again, I think that's the thing, the whole thing about the honesty. If it is more service user involvement, then be honest about it. And it, it, if it is co-production, then you can say that. And also, also about uh, researchers being able to be um, completely open, honest, non-lived experience researchers, because I think there's quite a lot of pressure sometimes to perhaps um, form or for you to maybe not say that you don't know certain things. So hopefully there'll be a lot more thing where um, just being able to be honest. And hopefully that's something that should change because it's all about everybody learning together. But obviously there's this, there's a power dynamic within academia itself. So hopefully things like that will eventually change and because it is about people then learning and developing and, um, you know, in a, in a non-judgmental way. There'll be some PhD students or, you know, literary researchers who'll be attending the conference and want to do co-production. And it's something I've been thinking about as well. When you're doing a PhD and you do really want to involve people, what can you do? Because if you're doing a PhD, for example, it's your piece of work and you know, you've got to write a thesis on it at the end and you're going to be the author. Yeah, I think in that case, um, I do know of examples of people who've done their PhD in a co-produced way. So I think it's maybe finding other examples of other people who have done that, um, finding out what barriers they came across, what were the challenges, looking at the sort of the rules, I guess, that might come with your PhD and checking how does that fit in with current and forward moving research practice that is around co-produced research having lots of discussions about how how you could do it. Jackie how would you how would you go about being involved in a PhD study as you know a lived experience researcher? I think again it depends I mean obviously a lot of people they're doing it it's the wrong thing they're not going to then have because a lot of time there's um, involvement um, payments made when you're on some and, and this may not work for early um, career researchers or PhD students so what I'd say then try and involve lived experience people you might want to go to certain groups that are set up um, you know so that could be another way for them to actually go to um, you know uh, call out to NSUN who do a um, national survivors user network who do a weekly bulletin out to people with lived experience or that could be another way so I'm working on this if you want to get involved that's happened before but lots of people I'm sure would want to be involved in research and you know and there but and there isn't payments because somebody is a PhD student or early careers person for me you know I certainly I have been involved in things where people have done a call out or on Twitter social media is another good place 
I think it's also just like realizing that people are quite happy to be involved. Maybe just even can I take you out for a coffee and can we like have a chat about this subject area? Or I'd love to hear your views on this. Honesty, I think, has been the key in this podcast today. But just being honest and saying this is what I can offer you. Can we work together? Just two points. The first one beforehand. But if someone really thinks about where they're positioned as a researcher, and that's um, because um, um, the co-produced approach is really very um, embedded in a um, sort of constructionist um, approach or, or outlook. You're very much looking at the kind of like the how, the why, you're trying to understand um, um, sort of... You're very much, very much trying to um, sort of un- understand the, the types of questions that are important to um, people with, with lived experience sort of fit within that area of um, research, as opposed to the positivist elements where you'll be measuring kind of like numbers and thing, things like that. So <clears throat> what you have to think about is how that fits with your with your research approach and also part of that as well is that um, when you're looking at qualitative um, approaches you know that you're always going to have that it's like an uphill struggle isn't it because you know that you're going to have you know the the, what people from a positivist side describe as you know we're looking at a more valid more scientific approach and there's something about um, sort of lived experience knowledge that is denigrated and that is looked at as having much less value. Just like your rich approach of being qualitative is going to be looked at as having less value. And that leads on to the, the other tip, which is um, mad knowledge. Um, people with lived experience have got you know, a wealth of knowledge that they've they've um, written themselves so that the um, sort of mad literature so it's about you know can you um, get out there and have have a look for that and it's it's harder to look for but again if you look for lived experience researchers they'll be able to help point you in in that direction as well I think a big step towards making people more comfortable in co-producing their research is having this on the agenda for a big conference like the IMH conference this feels quite big it's going to be amazing that you guys are going to be speaking at it what can we expect from your talk at the conference yes yeah, so we're gonna introduce one of our studies in a bit more depth that is on the experiences of people with pre-existing mental health conditions during the pandemic which is a again a project that was co-produced to a fairly high standard and then we're also going to have a panel discussion afterwards. What do you hope people will take away from your talk at the conference? Cool. Do, you know, do you know what? I was I was looking at the um, at, at, at what's on there, and there's so many things that I think look look interesting. And um, I'm looking forward to the panel discussion. I'm also really um, nervous because on a discussion you never know what's going to come up. <laughs> Um, and also, I'm really looking forward to um, hearing Nev Jones talk as well, because, um, you know, I just um, love some of Nev, Nev's work. And um, what, what can I say? I'm looking forward to all of it. It looks good. <laughs>
yeah, I guess I would hope that people um, listening to our presentation will think about it as a journey to being to doing research in a co-produced um, way. And yeah, and just thinking, taking what they've heard from us and thinking about how about their own research structures and their own approaches they've taken to research and how that what they, that how that could be more co-produced. Amazing. I, I hope the same. And I hope the listeners who are listening to the podcast will get a bit of insight into what co-production is, some of the challenges that you might face or some tips from you guys about how to get started and hopefully they'll tune in on the day so um yeah thank you so much for joining me today guys and thank you so much to everyone who's listening to hope you found this episode helpful and interesting 